A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know the feeling when you are sitting at a cafe or a restaurant table, perhaps, or even your school desk all those years ago, and you're a bit bored, and you're kind of rubbing your hand along the desk, feeling the grain of the wood, and maybe your hand goes underneath the desk a bit, and then you always find it, that little cold, hard, wrinkly knob. You know what I mean. Most of us have trodden it at some point. Some of us are even unlucky enough to get it stuck in our hair. And of course, if you get it stuck in your clothes, what do you do? Stick your clothes in the freezer so it gets nice and hard. And then, of course, you can just pick it off. I am, of course, talking about chewing gum, spearmint, peppermint, even bubble gum. Hello, welcome to Patented. It is a podcast that's all about the history of inventions and other cultural things brought to you from History Hit. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell. Thank you, as ever, for your company. It's lovely to have you with us. Hey, chewing gum. It is a staple in our culture, I suppose. Jennifer Matthews is a professor of anthropology in sociology, and she joins me on the show today to discuss the invention of chewing gum. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it, when you think about it? I mean, it's so familiar, we don't really think about it. But then you think, well, where did it first come from? Do humans just like to chew? You might think of it as a modern invention, but actually it dates back as early as the year 200, (laughs) if you can cast your mind back that far. And although people weren't chewing on sticks of juicy fruit or whatever it was back then, they were chewing on other things for the same reasons that we chew today, which essentially is dental hygiene. But then there's the social grip that chewing gum has on society. How does chewing something in your mouth, which all of a sudden makes you kind of cool. You know, if you think about movie stars of the 1950s and the 1960s, this idea of kind of strutting down the street chewing gum. Anyway, some people love it. Others can't stand it, including my dad. Seinfeld even made an entire episode about it. So there we go. Chewing gum. It's in your handbag. It's in your back pocket. It's on the shelf in front of you. And now the history of that tiny little piece of minty freshness is in your ears. Enjoy. My dad absolutely hates chewing gum. Like, he has a kind of like a weird aversion to it. And I would have thought he would have been, well, how old's my dad? He's 80 now. You know, he's around in the kind of 50s and 60s. That's when everyone was chewing gum. 
Why does he hate it so much? Like, he's, I don't know, there's something about it. It's like, I don't know what it is, like a cultural thing that drives him crazy. Well, it's interesting because chewing gum seems to put people in two camps. You either love it or you hate it. And apparently your dad is in the latter yeah. area. And it's probably because people think you look like a cow when you chew it. Or Well, I can kind of understand that. But why? Okay, we're going to get into the history in a minute. But I'm just interested in why there are only two camps. Why is it a kind of love-hate thing? It is that thing we just don't like seeing people eating. Well, yeah, there's a weird kind of oral fixation, which I think makes people either really uncomfortable or they're all in. And it goes back thousands of years. I mean, the ancient Aztecs had really strict norms around chewing gum in public. And in fact, if you were caught chewing gum in public, you were either labeled a sex worker or a homosexual. So, Okay, well, we'll come on to sex workers, etc., a little bit later on. Where did this come from? Why do we do this? Why do we chew gum? Where did gum come from? What's the deal? So it's interesting. We have archaeological evidence of chewing gum as far back as 9,000 years ago in Sweden, where we find this piece of birch tar gum with chewing gum impressions, like tooth impressions on it. So apparently this has been going on for all recorded history. And I think that chewing is such a natural inclination for humans that we can't help ourselves. And so we yeah. have to chew. I'd never really thought of it, actually. Then when I knew you were going to be on, I was thinking, well, actually, when I was at school, I used to chew pencils and things, like chew the end of my pencil just because I was bored. And then I chew my fingernails. Right. And that's one of the things about chewing gum. In fact, William Wrigley approached the U.S. military around World War One and said, you should put chewing gum rations in every soldier's ration kit because it staves off nerves, it quenches thirst, it staves off hunger. And so he convinced the military and they, to this day, they still put chewing gum in rations. Does it do all those things? I've never really thought about why we chew gum other than it's sort of minty and makes your breath fresh. Sure. I mean, I think that's probably the primary motivation. But imagine if yeah. you're in trench warfare, it's not like you're brushing your teeth, right? And you may not have no. access to food. And so chewing gum could be an easy thing to keep in your pocket and allow you to kind of process the moment. The act of chewing, does that kind of trigger maybe something in your brain that says, oh, I'm eating, and therefore it kind of tricks you into curbing your appetite, maybe? Well, and it triggers saliva production, too. And yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. yeah, that kind of tricks your brain into thinking that you're eating. Okay, right. So 9,000 years ago, Sweden. What was happening in Sweden? Like 9,000 <laughs> years ago, I'm like, okay, the pyramids. Was that 9,000 years 000. ago? Probably about that. <laughs> Was it 4,000? Okay, crikey, even before the pyramids. Yes. But I'd never think of Sweden as having a kind of prehistory, but I'm guessing there were trees involved, forests, fishing, fires. Yes, and if you're familiar with Otzi the Iceman, the ice mummy from about 5,300 years ago, he uses bitumen, which is another kind of natural chewing gum, as an adhesive. So this was an ice mummy that was found right on the Austrian-Italian border. Oh, yes. And he was found with a copper axe, and his axe was actually attached to the handle with bitumen as a kind of natural adhesive. And so he was carrying around a kind of chewing gum with him. Huh, okay. So we've always chewed forever. That's the thing. And we've always chewed things, bits of bark. But what did you say bitumen? No, what did you say the back stuff was? So bitumen, bitumen is yeah. a kind of adhesive. It's a natural tar. So I grew up in California and on parts of the- I've heard of, of, of that the, place. I've heard of it. 
I believe that you lived there at one point. I did. Who told you that? Well, I was just listening to your episode on cinemas, and I, oh. you mentioned living in L.A. because you were talking about my childhood theater, the Cinerama Dome and the Man's Chinese <laughs> Theater. Those are my theaters. I probably bought chewing gum in those theaters probably. at some point. Anyway. And the shores of California are where I live now in Texas, where you have oil production. Bitumen naturally washes up on the shoreline. So as a kid, my baby shoes actually have black tar on the bottom of them from when I would go to the beach as a little kid. You know, the Aztecs and other peoples around the world would gather that. And I think the thing about chewing gum, whatever form it takes, whether it be chicle, which is a natural tree resin. I've never heard of chicle. What is chicle? That's what we used as the natural base to chewing gum from the 1870s until about the 1970s. Huh. You get it from a tree. What, like you get latex? Or... Yeah, exactly. So it's from the chico zapote tree. And when you cut into the bark, it oozes out as a kind of natural protection. It's the same with uh, spruce gum and other kind of natural resins, people figured out you can use this for various things. So they would use it to fill in cavities in their teeth, or they would use it to plug holes if something was leaking. You know, all of these have lots of uses. One of them happens to be chewing gum. Do they use it for, as kind of like hallucinogens and that kind of stuff? So in the Americas, ancient Americas, the hallucinogens tended to come in the form of alcohol or mushrooms. <laughs> I've heard of both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of those as well. But as far as I know, they didn't add it to chicle. Medicine wasn't really added to anything and to the chewing gum until really nicotine gum was kind of the first iteration of that. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I think you've got a nicotine gum, actually. So basically, we've been doing it forever. We do it for a whole host of reasons. You mentioned the name Wrigley. That's where I always, well, I think of, you know, Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sure. I mean, so Wrigley gum is really the dominant brand that comes about in the 20th century, but he's actually a latecomer to the game. The very first chewing gum was a spruce tree gum that was invented in 1848 by a guy by the name of John Curtis, and it was called the State of Maine Pure Spruce Gum. And this was collected by lumberjacks who were basically collecting wood to make newspaper pulp. And along the way, they would collect the spruce tree. And they picked up this habit from the local indigenous people because Pima Indians and other Native Americans had been chewing spruce tree gum for centuries. And so this became a kind of local habit in New England. And once they produced it commercially, it began spreading across the entire country. Then you have chicle-based chewing gum, which is invented in 1859 by Thomas Adams. And then it isn't really until Wrigley comes about in the late 1880s that the Wrigley name becomes to dominate the chewing okay. gum industry. This spruce gum that the lumberjacks were chewing, so it's kind of sap. Is that? I'm just trying yeah. to imagine if I was going to chew some of that, what, what would I have in my hand? Yeah, so it would be a thick, oozy sap, and they would cook it down, and sometimes they would add honey to it to sweeten it up a little bit because it had a very kind of woodsy taste to it. I'm just imagining the, the day where it's like, you know, we could market this. Like, how did they sell it? Did they just design packaging for it and sell it in local stores or how did it happen? There was a factory and it was almost all women working in the factory. So I've seen pictures of just dozens of women sitting at these tables cutting up little tiny pieces of gum and they would put cornstarch around it to keep it from being too sticky and just wrap it into packaging. Was it a long stick? They were little kind of small rectangles. So a shorter rectangle. 
like a bubblegum bubble. Yes, like, yes. Oh, we could talk about bubblegum. I hope we are going to talk about bubblegum. We bubble will gum. talk about bubblegum, of course. Awesome. We, should, we have okay, to. Okay, so it's the 18, what was it, 18? 1848 is the first spruce gum. Okay. And then the chicle chewing gum comes around in 1859. So similar kind of thing, a natural product from a tree. Yes, that is uh, found in Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, basically... Central America and into Mexico. And it comes about because of the former president of Mexico, known as Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. He had served as the president for 11 terms. He had had tremendous success at times and then was exiled multiple times. And at one during one of these exiles, he's living in Staten Island, New York. And he is an older man and hopes to become president a 12th time. And he wants to fund that because he doesn't have a lot of money left. And rubber had just been invented by Charles Goodyear. And so that was on his mind. And so he had that on the mind, like, well, chicle seems similar to rubber. Maybe we could use it as another kind of rubber. So he sought out an inventor in the New York area. And that's when he came across Thomas Adams. And he gave him a whole store of chicle that he had brought from Mexico. And Thomas Adams spent an entire year and about $35,000 of his own money, which was a significant amount in the mid-1800s. And he tried and tried and tried, but it just would not work. It wouldn't vulcanize the way that rubber did. And he was ready to throw the whole store of chicle in the Hudson River when he went to a confectionery store and heard a little girl asking for paraffin wax gum. So I don't know if you remember wax lips and the wax candy that was popular in the 70s. I do remember that. And so that was um, the later version of paraffin wax gum. And so it suddenly dawned on him, I've got all this rubbery (laughs) stuff sitting in my storehouse. And so he rushed home and he and his son boiled up a bunch of it, rolled it up into little gray balls. It was totally unappetizing and unappealing from my view, but he took them down to the candy store and they sold out instantly. And that was with no flavoring, no coloring, nothing. First of all, like he's devoted all this time and money. He must've had an inkling that he was onto something here, but it just seems such an unlikely thing, given that it wasn't like a mass market thing. Like not everyone was chewing gum. It seemed to be pretty niche at the time. Right. And I think he was desperate to find some use for this because he had spent so much time basically trying to make something (laughs) useful out of it. So he saw the paraffin lips. Did he throw the the natural stuff away then in favor of paraffin gum? Like what, where did that change? No, he stuck with the chicle. He realized that he had something here. And the thing was, is that the wax lose its flavor almost immediately and it gets kind of dry. The Ah. chicle has a more rubbery texture to it. And so it has an appealing feel to it. And so I think that's why it became so popular. And then he added fruit flavor to it and licorice. He had a gum called blackjack, which was a black licorice gum. They still exist. Exactly. It's still still around. And it became a huge, huge hit. And he becomes a millionaire. Wasn't there a song about it? Does your chewing gum lose its flavor on your bedpost overnight? Exactly. Lonnie Donegan. Lonnie Donegan. Lonnie Donegan. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Man, (laughs) suddenly being really, really old. So he boiled it down and rolled them up into balls and they sold out. And like, who would be chewing those? Was it kids because they were selling it in a confectionery store? When Mostly they, kids. But when the do we other... get on to prostitutes? So... When, we want the sex workers. <laughs> 
One of the things that he noticed was that, for example, in subways, people were just standing around waiting for trains. And so he actually invents the first vending machine for dispensing chicle in the subways ah. to market it to bored adults, right? And he also creates in drugstores a machine that would knead up the chicle and then punch out little sticks. And so if you were getting your change back from buying something, you had the option of taking coins or you could take your change back in chewing sticks. That's awesome. That's great. And was that the kind of first stick as we, you know, part of the thing about chewing gum, it comes in yes. a thin, long rectangle rather than a ball. So that's where that comes from. Yes. Oh, amazing. Okay. It's funny because there's no reason why it should be a long, thin rectangle. You could have it as a boy. You could have it any shape you want, really. So it's just a historical anomaly. Absolutely. So that's Thomas Adams. But then the name that keeps coming up is Mr. Wrigley, William Wrigley. Who he? Who he? Who he? So he is a colorful character. As a young boy, he grew up the son of a soap salesman. And apparently he had a lot of energy. He gets kicked out of school as a young boy for throwing pies at people. And he ends up leaving home at the age of 11 with his parents' permission and goes to New York City. Wait, can we just pause there? He threw pies at people. Uh -huh. In what context was he doing this? I wasn't able to find any specific context. Um, Do you know who Noel Godin is? No. Oh, Jennifer, you love Noel Godin. Noel Godin was, is, I think he's still around maybe, he was a Belgian pie anarchist and he spent much of his career... <gasps> flanning oh, famous people. Yes, yeah, he, he yes. did Bill Gates in the late 80s. And he had a lovely thing that he said. He says that the custard pie is an infallible barometer of character. You know, if you pie somebody, if they're not enthralled with themselves, they'll generally laugh it off. But if they're enthralled with themselves, if they lack humility, their rage will be explosive. Yes. Anyway, okay. so I just suddenly, sorry. That's I knew a, his work, but not his name. I'd seen the video, yes. He's a great hero of mine. And he got all his pies from a very specific patisserie in... Paris or Belgium somewhere I think they were specially made and he would go up to the person who was going to pie and then he'd recite a piece of poetry and then place the pie in their face and then wait to be arrested it's the kind of guy you want to hang out with right but um, anyway <laughs> sorry anyway, Wrigley sounds like Mr Mr Wriggle is similar. Yes. So he goes to New York as an 11-year-old boy, and he's peeling potatoes on ships or he's selling newspapers. He eventually becomes a soap salesman for his father and is traveling the country. And one of the things is that when they were selling the soap, they would provide the shopkeeper with what they called premiums. So these were gifts that they would receive for selling the soap. And so it would be like, you know, here's a typewriter or here's a rolling pin. And it turned out that the most popular premium that they gave away was paraffin wax gum. Everybody went crazy for it. And in fact, they liked the gum better than they liked the soap. And so Wrigley decided, I'm selling the wrong thing here. And so he buys a paraffin wax chewing gum company and decides to switch to the chicle because he likes the chicle texture better. And that's when he gets engaged with chewing gum. I'm Tristan Hughes, host of The Ancients from History Hit, where twice a week, every week, we delve into our ancient past. I'm joined by leading experts, academics and authors who share incredible stories from our distant history and shine a light on some of antiquity's great questions. 
Was the Oracle of Delphi really able to see into the future? What can be discovered from lost civilizations? And was King Arthur actually real? You can expect all of this and more from the Ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When we say paraffin wax, when you say it, I kind of imagine like a candle, which I don't want to chew. And I remember the, the, the lip things, but they were sweet. They didn't taste of paraffin or anything. But they do have a definite waxy yeah. vibe to them. And if you remember, they'd start to get kind of flaky if you chewed on them for too long. I can't remember. Either, but I just remember them existing in my time. I don't think we had them over here in the UK, but okay. in America. Okay, so Mr. Riggy's like, no to paraffin wax. We want chickle, as mm-hmm. I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And then he... And he starts making them in, in the rectangle strips. Correct. And Does he, he okay. innovates things like double mint gum and juicy double fruit. Double your pleasure, double your fun with double mint, double mint, double mint gum. Absolutely, right? And that's the exact thing about Wrigley was he was a marketing genius. He told his son, never stop marketing, never stop selling your product. And so he came up with all kinds of innovations in marketing. So he would plaster entire towns with billboards and signage everywhere, sometimes losing his shirt. Like he tried to conquer New York City the first time he came through and basically spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and didn't sell enough. But he kept on trying. And one of the things he did was he sent four sticks of gum to every person listed in the U.S. phone book at one point. Wow. That's marketing. Like, how, Where did that come from? I mean, because 
How did he know how successful marketing could be? His goal was to familiarize people with the product. He said, if yeah. people know the product, they will want to come back for it. And so he knew he had to get it into people's hands. So he would also created little books for children that were nursery rhymes that always involved chewing gum and just did whatever he could to get that gum and to get that name Wrigley in people's heads. Is he Wrigley as in, isn't it Wrigley Field? And there's like stadiums and like that name Wrigley is such an American iconic name. Yes, because he became so rich off of it. He was able to buy the Chicago Cubs. He owned part of Catalina Island, for example. He was one of the mega millionaires in the United States. So double mint gum. The other one, of course, is Juicy Fruit, which I mentioned earlier on. Well, I didn't mention it, but I'm thinking there's that iconic line in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson, is sitting next to the chief and they're in the sanitary and he hands him a piece of gum and the chief starts chewing on the gum and he hasn't spoken for the entire film because he can't speak, he's mute. And he suddenly looks at Jack Nicholson and goes, juicy fruit. (laughs) And it's such an amazing bit of the movie, but, you know, it's interesting that it's the name of Wrigley's gum that is the first word that is spoken by this central character in the film. Well, and it's interesting that the role that chewing gum plays in a lot of films, it turns out that on the set of Grease, for example, all of the bad kids who were part of the gang, the Pink Ladies and the Thunderbirds, were supposed to be chewing gum at all times. And in fact, I believe it was Topps created cards of Sandy and Danny and all of the characters after Grease came out because it was such a marketing ploy. So the chewing of the gum signals you as a bad kid. When did that happen? Okay, so if it was kids, you know, I'm thinking of Rebel Without a Cause, I'm thinking James Dean. Exactly. And I'm thinking Marlon Brando in The Wild One. That kind of 50s rocker, black leather jacket, motorcycles, grease. It was part of of the image. And I think this ties back to that kind of oral fixation and the sexualization of gum. There's this sense that if you're chewing gum, you're chomping on it, you're breaking the rules. When you mean sexualization, how do you mean? Like what? Well, the mouth is often sexualized, right? And so- No way. No. (laughs) I'm breaking news here. (laughs) I don't know. I'd never thought of it as a sexual- thing, but now you mention it. There's a book called The Florentine Codex that's associated with the Aztecs. It's a post-contact book written by an Aztec scribe, but under the supervision of a Spanish overseer, and it documents the daily life of the Aztecs. And there is an entire section on chewing gum. And the Spanish friar talks about, you know, sex workers walking along the waterfront wearing heavy perfume and chomping on their chicle like castanets. And so it was a kind of marker. So suddenly you go from this bit of confectionery, it gets labeled in this sort of bad boy image. I mean, what did Wrigley think about that? He's like, crikey, suddenly, you know, I've been sending sticks of gum to everybody in the phone book and now on the waterfronts just come out and or Rebel Without a Cause has just come out and now everyone thinks bad guys. You know, I think he would have been okay with it because it would have led to sales. <laughs> but he did try to market it as a kind of, you know, family-friendly product, right? He was selling it to kids. He was selling it as, you know, this kind of fun thing to chew. But I think ultimately he would have been fine if it put more chewing gum in people's hands. And these laws about, am I right in thinking they were kind of, you're not allowed to chew gum in public? What, like what was... I think you mentioned this earlier on. Yeah, the only people who could chew gum in public amongst um, the ancient Aztecs were old women and children. And anyone else got labeled 
as sexualized, as either homosexual or as a sex worker. Ah, okay. So it's always had that sexualized connotation. Yeah. Interesting. I want to just quickly just sort of move on from that and talk about bubblegum, just because that must have come, I'm guessing, round about the same sort of time, like mid-century, like 40s, 50s? It was a little bit later. Um, It comes about in 1924. There is a guy named William Deemer who works for the Fleer Chewing Gum Company. I believe he was an accountant or something, had nothing to do with the production side of things. But he was interested in innovating something that was less sticky. So he uses some other kind of resin. He won't reveal what it is. A lot of these ingredient lists are secret because they're considered trade secrets, but he wanted something that was less sticky and that you could ultimately blow bubbles with. And it turns out that the iconic pink color was just a happenstance. Pink happened to be the only color he had on hand. And so he went to his bosses with this bright pink chewy bubble gum and it became an instant hit known as double bubble and that comes just from that accident yes yes what did we used to have bazooka joe bazooka that's joe. what we used to have that comes in after World War II with the Topps Chewing Company, and they marketed Bazooka Joe after the bad boy image, right? The original Bazooka Joe was this kid in like ripped jeans and a white t-shirt. Sometimes he wore a leather jacket, and he had a mysterious eye patch that was never explained, but it was a great marketing tool, and it was actually created by one of the illustrators for the Superman comic books. Honestly, I basically modeled my entire early childhood on Bazooka Joe. Well, basically, I wanted to be Marlon Brando, James Dean, and Bazooka Joe as a sort of package. That is quite an image. It didn't really work out. (laughs) (laughs) Now look at me. (laughs) Do people still chew gum? People still chew gum. It doesn't have like the bad boy sexualized image anymore. Not really. And Actually, chewing gum sales have declined dramatically. Really? Yeah. it's They've actually closed several of the Wrigley plants in North America in the last couple of years. Why is that? People, for some reason, tend to migrate more towards mints and towards things that dissolve rather than things that you continuously chew. But yeah, it's an interesting quandary as to why chewing gum is losing its popularity. It's funny, in London, I'm sure in New York and in San Antonio maybe, there's white blobs on the pavement everywhere of just old, ancient chewing gum that's been dropped and stood on for decades and decades. And I didn't even know what it was, but that's what it is, isn't it? It's just old chewing gum. Yeah, and in fact, cities can spend millions of dollars cleaning up chewing gum. And in New York, they had a slogan contest where people could send in their best slogans for, you know, pick up your gum, dum-dum and things like that, so that people would actually throw their gum away. But you didn't always have a lot of trash cans available on the city streets. And so it ended up on the sidewalk. It's really interesting, isn't it? Now, are you an anthropologist or a sociologist? Like where? I'm an anthropologist and I specialize in archaeology. There is a sort of archaeology here, isn't there? A sort of archaeology of chewing gum. What was it about chewing gum for you that opened up this sort of history? Chewing gum as a lens for exploring human behavior. Yeah, it's interesting. It's total serendipity. So I am a Maya archaeologist and I studied very early prehistoric Maya peoples. So I was studying people from about 250 BC to about 400 AD. And I was studying their road systems, which were these beautifully designed raised roads made of cut stone that would go through the jungle. And they would use them for trade or they'd use it for the military to pass through and it would connect up cities and things. So I was documenting one of these roads that went for 30 kilometers. So it was a, you know, 
pretty extensive project that I was doing. And one of the things that we kept coming across on top of these roads were these little tiny railroad tracks that were still left behind. And I thought, that's weird. Why are these little tiny railroad tracks sitting on top of an ancient Maya road? And as a kid, I was a train nerd. My favorite toy was my train set. So I was intrigued. So I started talking to the local people and said, why are there train tracks on top of these roads? And they said, oh, that's from the chicle industry that worked until the 1970s. And I thought, what the heck? is going on here. And so they had basically taken advantage of these ancient Maya constructions and just built the train tracks right on top of it to go straight into the forest so that they could collect the chewing gum, the chicle, and then bring it back out and ship it off to the United States. So I was hooked immediately. And that kind of started my journey on studying the chicle industry and the kind of infrastructure associated with it. And I've been kind of hooked on 19th century commodities ever since. So I've been focusing on chewing gum, sugar cane, rum, and now my new inquiry is into avocados. Oh my God. I could, let's talk just very quickly. Let's add, sorry, listeners, we're just going to end with a little coda on the avocado. <laughs> so I remember in the 70s, right? Like avocados were rare. Like occasionally as a starter, you might get like half an avocado with some vinaigrette dressing. And spend a lot of money on it. We've gone avocado crazy recently. It's yes. like madness. Yes. I mean, I'm myself included. And if anyone says the word smashed one more time, <laughs> smashed up, just stop it. Just, just very quickly, why have we gone avocado mad? So again, marketing, right? So I'm a fifth generation Californian. My great, great, great grandfather was one of the first residents of Hollywood. And he- Hey, that's my town. That's my town. <laughs> And he was married to a woman who was a, from an old farming family, so my great-great-great-grandmother. And um, her uncle imported trees from all over the tropics, one of those being the avocado tree. And, and the palm trees were all important. And the palm trees. And yeah, it was a big thing in Los Angeles to have tropical trees. Well, they lived in Nichols Canyon, which is right next to where Man's Chinese Theater is now. They were the first residents of Nichols Canyon. And he was the first one. He and my great-great-grandmother were the first ones to have an avocado tree that survived. And they would have people over for dinners with all avocado dishes, and then they would send them home with an avocado tree. So he, amongst many others, were part of how avocados spread in California. And California cuisine often is a leader to kind of innovate with ingredients. But it really comes down to marketing from them and from Mexico. Mexico figured out, market it to the West, and it was sell. Hollywood's very good at marketing. The Hollywood sign obviously was an old advertising sign, which used to say Hollywood Land. I was fascinated by the history of that sign, the very famous Hollywood sign. And it was the millennium year, 2000, I was living there. And um, I hiked up to the sign. You can get up to behind the sign, as you know. But apparently there used to be a hut there underneath the H. And there was a guy who lived in that hut. And I don't know what his name was. And his job was to screw in all the... Because it used to be lit up with light bulbs oh, on the, the side. Sure. And he used to live there. And I spent months trying to find that hut and I never found it. I got arrested once <laughs> for climbing on the sign. A police helicopter came down and said, get off the Hollywood sign, because they get a bit cross. Yeah, they get very protective of it. Although it's interesting because when I was a kid, it looked like 
hell. It was so beat up. I mean, they brought it back for the 84 Olympics. Oh, happy days. Did you ever go to the 101 diner? Yes. Bottom of Beachwood and Franklin. Get the cappuccino. It's featured in Swingers. In the movie Swingers, they get their cappuccinos. I was there there when that film came out. Sorry, listener, I will end it there. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jennifer, for talking to us about chewing gum. And avocados. And a little bit about avocados. Jennifer... An absolute pleasure. Come and talk to us about some other archaeology. You know, I'm really interested. When we think about archaeology, we always think about the Middle East and Egypt and this kind of thing, which is fine and good stuff. I'm really interested in kind of mid-20th century archaeology, like the archaeology of kind of Las Vegas I got into for a while, and the archaeology of Hollywood. There's some fun stuff. It's totally fascinating. And I always say that we're glorified garbologists, right? Because we are basically studying the trash that gets left behind, whether it be 50 years old or 5,000 years old. Exactly. So next time you're walking along the streets of London or Hollywood or wherever you are, and you see those little white blobs on the pavement, do some archaeologizing because it's chewing gum. Absolutely. Dallas, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. There we go. Everything you ever wanted to know about the history of chewing gum. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to tell all your friends and family. And get all your friends and family to tell their friends and extended family about it too. Uh, And thank the next person who offers you a piece of chewing gum. You can bore them rigid with lots of fun facts all about chewing gum. Um, Don't forget, if you've got a topic for an episode you'd like us to do, something that you would like us to investigate the origins of, you can email us at patented at historyhit.com. And I look forward very much to your company next time. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.